I got a call last night from Ryan Stansky, who was all wound up. Imagine that. Uh, but uh, he said that on the way to work, God had spoken to his heart that he was to preach to the people at Target and gave him a sermon. And he's going, I just don't see that happening. And so he had uh, he'd gotten to work and just said, well, God, you know, I think you spoke to me, but I have no clue how this is going to work out. So during the day, the manager comes to him and says, I want you to prepare some sample drinks for the, uh, the staff because they get together for a weekly meeting. And Ryan never attends those meetings. But uh, the guy said, okay. And Ryan says, where do you want me to bring them? And he says, well, uh, we could do it right here at Starbucks. And so calls the staff over. He gets done with his meeting. He says, Ryan, you got anything to say? And uh, Ryan's going, well, how long do you want me to share? And uh, he says, as long as you want. So, so Ryan has this word on forgiveness in the workplace and, and brings that to him. And then true to his Baptist roots says, Who, who's willing to live this way? <laughs> As a show of hands. So God allowed him to preach at Target. So that's a, an amazing thing. The faithfulness of God to fulfill his word in an impossible situation is something I want to look at this morning. And to know that if he makes a promise, it's going to happen. So I, what I, to do that, I want to look at the life of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and walk through um, that story now from Luke 1. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So what that tells us is that both of them come from a religious heritage particularly so that they were from the priestly family. So they would have been serving in the temple and in synagogues of the region, but they, they were participant in, in the families that were overseeing such places. So to grow up in that religious family meant that they understood the systems and the patterns that were all connected to religious worship. But it goes on to say, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. So not only did they have this heritage, their lifestyle was attached to this, and they were living it out. It wasn't just uh, a, a knowledge, but they had brought it into application so that their lives are being noted as being blameless. That's important for this next section. They had no children. Elizabeth was barren. They were both well along in years. So even though they had served God and done what uh, appeared blameless, uh, one of their heart's desires had never come through. One of the things that they had wished for and longed for and hoped for just hadn't happened. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. From what I've told, there was about four different duties that they would cast lots for for the different priests to decide who did what. So he's going in to present incense, and in a sense, he's representing the people before God. He is, he's at one of those pinnacle points where, in a sense, he is the chosen one to do the task that nobody else can do. So it's, a, in a sense, a very privileged place, 
but also it's, it's like the, the high point of their religious activity. And, and that's what he's fulfilling in that moment. When the time came for burning of incense, the assembly of worshipers were praying outside. So it's a religious service. And he's going in, representing the people before God. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So he's participating in a religious service in the, the, the high point of that service, and he's the one that's doing the offering, and suddenly he has a religious experience. So it's just stepped into a whole new level. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He's an older man who had prayed a prayer for a long time. The impression you get out of this story as we continue on is that his prayer had kind of died or waned just because it didn't appear possible for it to take place anymore. He was living blamelessly and faithful before God, even though his prayers hadn't been answered to that point. He's living devout and steadfast, even though some of the things that really were a part of his deepest desires had not taken place. For a couple to go through years and years of that in that culture, you know, Elizabeth later on says, my disgrace has been taken away. They're in a setting where they absolutely want children. And he's had that prayer that he's prayed. He's lived blamelessly before God, and it just hasn't happened. Suddenly there's an angel telling him when it appears impossible for things to take place that your prayers have been answered. <laughs> a little late. Now, he could have been true to the, the founding of this group with Abraham and said, God said it, it's going to happen. But quite honestly, there are times for all of us, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the system, and been a worshiper before, before God, and living righteously, when a promise comes and you still have to decide whether you're going to believe in faith that God has spoken such a thing. Or that it can actually come about. Or that he would declare something that seems completely impossible and you have this option. Am I going to embrace this in God and say, he spoke it, it's going to happen? Or do I turn and just say, well, you know, I must have gotten worked up again. You know, it was a good service and, and, and you know, there's, you know, I just don't know. So even in seeing this angel, in some ways it's not enough to get past the unbelief that's built up in his heart over a patient prayer, so to speak, that didn't come about. That's, that's what I find the challenge for myself in this passage is, you know, how many prayers have I prayed? And then it moves into this thing of patience and steadfastness. And then at some point along the line, it becomes unbelief rather than faith. There has to be a faith that even prays, right? 
There has to be a sense that, that God answers prayer or we don't pray the prayer. But there is this moment, too, where it says, am I going to continue on believing that he's declared something? Or do I just back off and just say, well, maybe when I get to heaven, I'll figure all that out. The angel goes on to declare about um, John's life and says, he's going to be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his, of his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord, and then he's, he's never to take wine or fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. So similar to a Nazaritic vow, he's making this direct declaration over the child. Many of the people of Israel he'll bring back to the Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So this is, again, it's declaring what his, the destiny of his life is going to be before he's even conceived. All is promise coming through. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife, well, my wife is well along in years. So he's going, <laughs> you know, we'd like to think that we wouldn't argue with angels. But, you know, again, I take you back to the start of the story. He's blameless. He's living a righteous life. And there are times when we have these experiences with the Lord and it seems so fantastic that it's like, I must have just got carried away. And it's like those seeds of doubt come in and, and this, this declaration of how could that be? And so, again, he's not that much different than the rest of us. But hopefully we learn as we read these passages. Angel answered back, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> In some ways, you know, he's, he told him, don't be afraid. But it's like just coming back and saying, do you realize who you're messing with? You know, I stand in the presence of God. He's making a declaration and just saying, you're the religious one here on earth. You're the one that's going through this ceremony that believes in God and is offering this incense. Let's, let's really apply this now. You're standing in front of an angel. Been sent to tell you this good news. Now you'll be silent until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which have come true at the proper time. It says the Lord disciplines those he loves. And in some ways, when you look at the rest of the story later on, you're going to realize it was a good thing for him to have his mouth shut for a few months. Because in the end, he's going to come out with prophetic declaration. And in a sense, he's had time to process it. He's seen the fulfillment of God. And his own life has been transformed even though he had been living a righteous lifestyle. Well, they, they go on with the story and it says that uh, the people in the service were waiting a long time. He didn't come out right away. And so there's, you know, what's going on? And then he comes out and, and uh, 
he can't talk, and he's making motions, and it's all kind of strange. It says he could not speak to them, but they realized he'd seen a vision. For he kept making signs, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. It goes on with a story that uh, she's ecstatic, the, the whole, all their friends and family are ecstatic. They're just beside themselves with joy over this miracle from the Lord. And, and you know, as it goes on, the child is born. Uh, Elizabeth is asked, what's his name going to be? They go to have him circumcised on the eighth day, and, and she says, John. And the relatives are all going, nobody's named John. Why do you, why do you make that choice? Uh, what about, what's his dad got to say? You know, what's this, what's this silly woman up to? There's nobody named John. Well, he asks for a tablet, and he, and he writes out John. It says, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. This is probably what should have happened immediately when the angel spoke to him, right? But at least after nine months plus, he's ready to get it right. Neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the whole hill country of Judea, people were talking on these things. Everyone who heard heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And his father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit. So... There's a presence of God on him in a way that hasn't been a part of his life before. Prophesies, praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. Now he's, the the initial part of this prophecy is relating to the person of Jesus, not to his son. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Anytime you see the horn uh, used in Scripture this way, it has to deal with strength, or it's a symbol of strength that they all understood. We're not used to being around animals, but you know, for their, their cattle and such, that horn was a dangerous thing, and it was a powerful thing. And, and so when it's referred to in Scripture, it's, it always has this sense of mightiness about it. He's raised for us a mighty salvation. In the house of his servant David... As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. He's declaring there's a new day coming, something's changing. Then he goes on to speak about his son. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. So he's defining, this is the role that you're going to have. You'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine in those living in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And it goes on to say that the child grew in the desert until his public ministry. 
And what we recognize as being the role of John the Baptist was all fulfilled in these prophecies. I guess when I, when I walk through this, there's an appreciation that builds and says, how awesome is our God who deals with people with foibles, so to speak? How awesome is it that our God deals with us? And he's not undone by our behavior, so to speak. When he declares something, it happens. When he puts something in place, it stands. And so when we, when we walk through life and, and we have these things where we're praying prayers and, and there are these seasons where it just, well, might as well let that one go. Says who? If the prayer's been inspired of him, then there's opportunity for it still to happen. And to just recognize that even in, in this situation where a man who gets it wrong the first time has this opportunity to shut his mouth for a few months, in a sense, pull out of the things of the chaos of life because he can't talk. I mean, just think what would happen to us if, if all our electronics were just shut down for a while. There might be a number of us here from God. You know, just, you know, that we might be ready to prophesy at the end of that. Whatever the case, God brought him to that point. And so he makes this declaration that we still read and marvel at. A couple thousand years later. That's the tenderness of our God to continue working with someone who even in a moment expresses unbelief. And then, you know, the bigger picture, for God to step into history and to just orchestrate his plan with people that fail and yet still pull it, a, pull it across or, or to make it happen in just the way that he designed. It's awesome. Wonderful. God, speak to our hearts. Let us not just live righteously, but help us to continue in faith, believing in you. Stand with me, will you?